Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The moment we take our eyes off of Jesus and begin to try to do all the stuff in our own power and all that, and we walk away from him, this same warning applies to us today. Jesus could do, he could show up and say like, hey, all right, you want to do all this stuff, but you want to do it without me, then, well, I'll just... I'll just use somebody else. I'll just use somebody else. The same thing applies on the personal level as being a part of the body of Christ. James, if you don't want to keep your eyes on me, if you want to keep doing all this stuff, uh, if you have left me, then I can use somebody else. Today you'll be reminded of the sobering reality that every single one of us is replaceable. If we're not being used by God, he can easily find someone else to be a vessel for him. As we dive into Revelation 2, you'll hear how this was a warning to the church in Ephesus as well. Today's scripture passage is all about the church and how they can do better. In the message today, Pastor James urges you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Go back to the basics of your faith in Jesus, and you'll be refreshed and ready to be used for His glory. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Revelation chapter 2, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. cover the seven churches, okay? So that may seem like a lot. It's not really that much. As we go through each of these churches, the main thing is like, okay, I know there's historical context to this, and that's all fine, but I'm not going to give you a church history lesson. That's, that's not my role today. So we're going through Revelation, and, and we're going to cover these seven churches. My, my main thing with the seven churches is this, as, as a church body, is how do, how do these, each of these postcards, is what we'll call them, because I know they're letters, but technically they're kind of like more like postcards, okay? Um, short and sweet, okay? How does each one apply to Calvary Galveston? And maybe even more importantly than that, how does each and every one apply to me personally? Because you can't, you can't subtract yourself from, from each of these postcards because there's something within each one of these that's a, uh, at least a, a warning or a heads up from Jesus concerning me and my heart. All right? And I think we all kind of understand that. So we'll, we'll go through these. I'm going to kind of use uh, Skip Heitzig, um, his book, The Bible at 30,000 Feet, as like a study guide kind of a deal for this, just because he does a real good job of um, giving a nice, clean, simple overlook of this thing. But I'm going to use his, his resource just to, to kind of paint some of the historical context, right? The time frame rise, uh, wise of, of these different, different letters and when they were written. All right, so we got the uh, first church. Um, this is Ephesus. You might be pretty, pretty well-versed in these letters, but Ephesus would be the church that has forgotten its first love, or the loveless church is my subtitle in my Bible. Verse 1 says, the angel of the church of Ephesus write, and the angel is the messenger, could be the pastor of the church. And, and just, I don't, this, I may not need to say this or whatever, but these are real churches at this point in time when this letter was being written, and they were all in Asia Minor. Real churches, real cities, real uh, pastors, and all that good stuff, okay? So it says, the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. We know from chapter one, seven stars are his messengers, seven golden lampstands, are the, or the menorahs, those are the churches, all right? He says, I know your works, your labor, 
your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you have found them liars. And you have, you have persevered and have, and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give uh, to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right? So first postcard goes to Ephesus, incredible place. And again, historically, it was a real place. Now, one thought of these, uh, of how to apply or how to think through some of these letters is, yeah, it's written to a real Ephesus at that point in time. Now it's in ruins. All these cities that we're going to go through, they're all in ruins now. So at one point, there were physical places and all that. But then it also could be speaking of a time period within history. And so Ephesus would represent that very first, the apostolic age kind of a deal, the very beginnings of the church. Okay? That's a lot of commentators, a lot of commentators would, um, would kind of would speak of it like that. So you have that. So it would represent like when Jesus established the church and then your church leaders would have been the Apostle Paul, you would have been, you would have been John, it would have been Peter, it would have been Timothy and Titus and Silas. And all of those guys would have been representatives of messengers at this point in time. In fact, I believe church history would say that even John spent some time in Ephesus, okay, shepherding the church there. So the message goes out. So if you're looking at it at that viewpoint, then something happens within, even at the very beginning stages of the church, okay? So you can have the best leaders and still lose your first love, right? And when we see that, because um, we'll see, look at this as how it applies personally um, within your own walk, walk with Jesus, you got the best savior, but there, there, is, there is always a tendency or always sometimes a temptation to leave your first love. And there's nobody better than Jesus, right? So, so it can be applied for, you know, both things. Like, yeah, that I'm sure that this could represent this, um, you know, this time period within that, that first church and all that good stuff. And, but it, one of the, the lessons there for us is that, okay, number one, we need to make sure that we're worshiping Jesus, the Savior, and never the messenger, okay? Because these guys had the best messengers. I mean, eyewitnesses to Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection. But even with that, even with that, and, and the persecution was there, but it wasn't at its, it, it wasn't at its extreme point just yet. But the tendency was to, was to turn your back on, on, on their love. And so that's what he's saying. He's like, look, uh, and I love this. Jesus in this, you know, addressing the churches, he's going to prop them up and encourage them by like, look, I see, what, I see what you guys are doing. You're doing good stuff. I know your works. I know your labor. You're, you're patient. You can't bear with those who are evil. You have no tolerance for those who are evil, which is an admirable thing. We'll see the other churches down the road, they quickly abandon that concept of like, well, yeah, you know, you know, I know you're not, you know, it, it, you kind of like, it, it goes from like the first church being like, no, 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 we're not going to partner with anything evil to where 
at the end of this letter, or these letters, you're going to have the very last church that's like fully embracing, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you do what you want to do. We'll do what we want to do, and we can all get along just fine. It's like, ah, not according to these letters. But uh, so these guys have no tolerance. Like, they're not going to bear with uh, those who are evil. It says, you're testing those who are going around claiming to be apostles, which there were plenty of those guys back in the day, especially at this point in time. A lot of guys were seeking to, Paul even addressed it in, in multiple letters that the Spirit kind of used him to pen, was you had a lot of people claiming to be something that they were not for the sake of gain, yeah, right? It was going to be a, a monetary kind of benefit for them to represent, quote unquote, Jesus, when in fact that they weren't. And they were sometimes, most of the time, they were leading individuals astray. But the early church had, had a high tolerance, like, we're not going to, we're going to test, you know, you come through the door and you're claiming to be this, we're going to put it to a test. He also goes to say, you know, a little bit later that concerning the Nicolaitans, and, and that's, a, that's a little bit of a de- debated, you know, thing of what does that mean. It's hard to be dogmatic on that, but a lot of, a lot, most of the, the thought behind that is, is kind of like an established priesthood, a hierarchy, like there's lay people you're kind of here, and then you got the priesthood or the priests, and all, they're up here. Like normal people aren't on the same level as the pastor people, kind of a deal. Some of that was instituted at the beginning. You could see, you could, if you read through church history, you'll start to see glimpses of that starting to happen. And that was becoming, well, number one, it was elitism is what it was, and it's, it's sin, assuming that, well, because this leader of the church, well, he's definitely more religious than I am, which is... False, completely false. But this early on within that within the church within the church realm, I, I will say, a lot of that stuff was being instituted, and there were a lot of distinctions that were being made. If you're a real, religious leader, then you're above the common man, and it's that's that's false. And so there's the common thought behind the Nicolaitans is that the other thought behind that is um, it's connected with Balaam. And how Balaam was used by Balak to lead the children of Israel astray, lead them into idolatry. And so that's, that, there's, there's the other viewpoint. So could both be true? Well, we know that both are true, right? Because just history itself proves that, yeah, some, uh, a hierarchy was beginning to be established, but then also you had individuals creeping into the church trying to lead individuals into idol worship. We were going through that in the book of Galatians. Circumcision is, is a type of idol worship, right? It's a religious practice is what it is. And if you think the physical act of circumcision is what makes you right with God, then technically you've turned that thing, which is just symbolic, into an idol, right? I mean, it's, it's, placing, it's placing preference or priority on something above, like, God himself. And is, if the sacrifice of Jesus is not enough, and you say that I have to have that plus this, well, whatever this other thing is technically becomes an idol because because you're telling me, well, Jesus isn't enough. Well, anything I add to that is, that's, uh, I'm creating like a little side deity kind of a deal. So all that stuff was creeping into the, the very early uh, stages of the church. And the first church, it's labeled here or listed here, they hated those. They hated that, the idea, the notion of that. So whether that's idolatry and uh, immorality and all that stuff that was creeping its way into the church, or if it was this, this idea of like this hierarchy type system, Ephesus, to its credit, hated that stuff. And God hates it too. 
Hey, surprise, surprise. Um, God, there are things that God hates, and um, we know that uh, idolatry is it's, it's a horrible thing for sure. And then this this mindset or this idea that somehow some individuals are more holy than other individuals is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But he did have something against this church. Even though they're doing all this good stuff, there was something that they were not doing really well. And that was uh, staying focused on Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 4, just the, the middle part of this little postcard, it says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Uh, you have um, turned away from your first love. And that's it. Like, but that's enough, right? Like, so if Jesus were to write you a, pro- a postcard today, and if he's telling you, hey, he's like, hey, you know what? I, I just want you to know, I, I, see, I see how you're serving over here. I see the good things that you're doing over here. And man, I'm really proud of you. You're doing awesome here, here, and here. But you know what? You, you've left your first love. But you know, then there's these other things that you're really doing good at too. And it would just be that one sentence in there that would totally ruin my day. It would wreck my day. It would be like, Okay, that's cool. Like, you recognize that. But wait, this, this, this is alarming. And it should be alarming. For the church of Ephesus, it, it should have been a, a, a good wake-up call for them. You're doing good. You're doing really good. I mean, and Jesus is giving them credit. It's like, you're doing really good in this, 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 and this. However, where am I at in the mix? Where am I at in the mix? And so that's why part of that, the, the, the questions that are listed there is to get us to talk about, like, Number one for a church, regardless of whatever it is that we do, and anytime we open the door, the one person that we are most interested in showing up is Jesus himself, right? It could be a full room. And if Jesus isn't here, then we're wasting our time. And it could be an empty room. But if Jesus is there, then we're, then we're good. We're good. The church of Ephesus had... They'd kind of turned their back on them in one sense. They, they've gotten caught up in all the stuff, and they're doing and all that. Good, they're doing good stuff. It's all good stuff. However, in doing all the good stuff, they have kind of separated themselves from, from the Lord. They've left their first love. But there's a remedy. That's the beautiful thing about these letters, too, is, is Jesus will point out a problem, but he will provide the remedy to the solution. He says, Verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So removing the lampstand is like, look, I'll move my church somewhere else. It's like, Ephesus, you, you, there's a church, you got a church, and the church is a, it's the body of Christ. And he says, look, um, if you guys continue to go down this road you're going down without me, well, then I'm just going to have another church start up somewhere else. And that's a good warning for any church. That should be, that's, a, that's like a nice bucket of cold water for any church congregation that's out there. The moment we ter- take our eyes off of Jesus and begin to try to do all the stuff in our own power and all that, and we walk away from him, this same warning applies to us today. Jesus could do, he could show up and say like, hey, all right, you want to do all this stuff, but you want to do it without me, then, well, I'll just... I'll just use somebody else. I'll just use somebody else. The same thing applies on the personal level as being a part of the body of Christ. James, if you don't want to keep your eyes on me, you want to keep doing all this stuff, uh, if you have left me, then I can use somebody else. What a, and that's a sobering reality. And 
honestly, it, it kind of should create that humility inside of all of us that, well, every single one of us is replaceable to an extent, right? Well, none of us are, we are wanted by God, and God wants to use us. However, he can use whoever he wants. And when he's got somebody stubborn that may not want to do things his way or keep my eyes fixed on him, then he can eat just as easily come alongside and say, you know what, I'll just use so-and-so. I'll use so-and-so. And that, that shouldn't be like a frightening thing to us, but that definitely should be a, a wake-up call to all of us to where it's like, you know, I think I just need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I think I just need to go back. And what does it mean, return to the first works? Like, what does that even mean? It just means that going back to that simplicity of a relationship with Jesus, that's, that's it. It's like, do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember those moments when you first got saved? And you're not trying to recreate some, you know, something like that. It's just going back to the simplicity the simplicity of it all. And, and I, I remember that. It was just a, as if it was just yesterday. And that excitement and the joy. And, and again, we're not trying to like manufacture feelings. Because feelings, it's not about feelings. But it certainly is about this, this idea of this notion of like when we first received the Lord Jesus, it was like, you know what, man, Jesus, wherever you tell me to go, I'm going to go. Why? Because I trust you. Because I love you. Right? And it's just that, that, that intimate connection with Jesus and, and all that. But you know, we all know as you grow up and you grow older in the Lord, so to speak, the tendency is to be like, well, I kind of got this thing down and I'll do it, you know, and all this stuff. And it's like, and Jesus is just over there on the side saying, hey, remember me. Remember me. Let's come back. Come back. So these guys are, I mean, again, doing good stuff, but none of it matters. It doesn't matter if you're busy for the Lord if, if he's not in the mix, okay? So that's to the first church, the, the church there of Ephesus. So that, again, that could represent that first time period there of these guys and, um, you know, the first church. And the next one, we'll, we'll move into a, a kind of a representation of a, a different time period within history that would follow up after this apostolic time period. And that's the church of Smyrna. Again, another actual physical place that had, there was a church there, and these guys, um, their postcard is, is very fascinating. It, it's interesting. So we'll, let's read through this one. It says, the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. That's, of course, talking about Jesus. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death." So you, you automatically know within there, like there's no negative. Now, you might be looking at that and you're like, well, it sounds like negative because he's talking about persecution, tribulation, and death. But he doesn't have anything to say negative towards the church itself. So we know that after that apostolic age, the persecution of the church really intensified. It really intensified. And we know that within this region, uh, Smyrna itself, uh, there was a lot of we'll say Caesar worship happening within here, okay? Because it was like, Smyrna was kind of like the hot spot for that. 
and you would have to go daily, right, and, and you know, say, Caesar's Lord, Caesar's Lord. And, and the, Smyrna is where, really where, you know, kind of the epicenter of all that. So believers were faced with the dilemma every single day. Are you going to identify Caesar as Lord, or are you going to identify Jesus as Lord? Now, the thing is, is that all they had to do is show up and say, Caesar is Lord, leave the place, go about their business. And nobody would do anything. But if you refused then you were persecuted. Whether that meant you were going to be arrested or tortured or killed. But all you had to do was just say, Caesar is Lord, and nobody would even know, and you can go about your business. But in this letter, Jesus is, he's encouraging these guys. He's like, look, you guys just stay, stay true to the end, to the very end. And they were suffering. And they were suffering for sure. And there were, there were people on the outside that were looking to really to destroy these guys. Because of the persecution and everything, the, the outward view of this church would be that it's like, and because they were suffering through tribulation and all that, that they were poor, quote unquote. But the Lord says, no, look, you're not poor. You're rich. You're, you're so wealthy. And he's going to address another church a little bit later that thinks they're so rich. But he's like, you're broke. You're totally broke. But for the church of Smyrna, which is, in, which is just going through a tremendous amounts of persecution, tremendous amounts of, of tribulation and all that, the Lord says, listen, there's, there's not a church that's better off than you guys. And he, he has really nothing negative to say to these guys at all. It's all encouragement. And that's exactly what a church needs that's going through a difficult time of tribulation. Keep on going. Keep on going. Yeah, but what if our own nation tells us we can't keep going? Well, then just keep going. Just keep going. But what if we're all going to get sick and die? Well, yeah, guess what? Humans are going to get sick and die. Nobody knows when the time is. I mean, are there other factors that can involve? Sure. Absolutely. Here's the thing about that, though, and what these guys needed to know and what we need to know as well is, does the Lord hold your life in his hand? Is he the master of the time clock of your life from beginning to end? Now, does this mean you need to be crazy and go try to test that? <laughs> no, you don't do that because that's ridiculous, right? Whether we believe it or not, people can unfortunately cut their own lives short way too soon. And we probably have all experienced that to a certain extent. I've had friends commit suicide. Was that part, did the, was that when the Lord had them planted? They took their lives. Did they sell themselves short on being used by God? Sure, absolutely. Could the Lord have used them? Absolutely. Should we go around lip, licking shopping carts and not because we're not afraid of a virus? No, because that's stupid, right? We don't, you don't need to do that. But what I am saying is that the Lord holds our lives in his hands. And even for a persecuted church, he's saying, look, I have you guys. You stay faithful to the very end. Well, when's the end? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The end for you will be when the end for you is supposed to be. Is that today? I don't know. Is it tomorrow? I have no idea. No clue. No clue. The Lord knows. And so in the midst of all that, in the midst of whether it's persecution or tribulation or trials and all that, we just got to stay focused on him, focused on the Lord and just trusting in him, the Lord. The Lord's good. And he, he's telling these guys, he's like, look, you guys just stay faithful. Stay faithful. Oh, hey, heads, here's a heads up. The devil himself is looking to arrest you guys. <laughs> like, Satan himself is out to get you. That's the biggest compliment a church has ever received, that Satan himself is looking to bust up your church. That must be a pretty effective church. Oh,
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're so glad that you joined us as Pastor James teaches through the book of Revelation. Some days it may feel like the choices you make don't really matter in the long run, but the book of Revelation teaches us otherwise. There will come a day when the decisions you make today will impact your future. There will come a day when all that is evil will be cast away and the darkness will no longer have dominion. So take a moment and think about your life. Are you making decisions that are good and holy, or are you making decisions that will hinder your relationship with the Lord? If it's the latter, be encouraged. God doesn't leave or forsake. Seek Him and ask Him to help you overcome the darkness. He is faithful, and He has the power to restore you. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more verse-by-verse messages from Pastor James, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the Teachings tab. While you're at our website, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you visit. For directions and service times, just visit breadforthebroken.com. We'd love to hear from you too. So send us a quick note in the contact tab at breadforthebroken.com if you've been blessed by this program. There's still a lot to learn from the book of Revelation, but that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time for Bread for the Broken.